All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I am talking to a man on a mission to make everyone an angel investor. It doesn't matter who you are, how much you earn, or what your financial status is, you can now invest just like the big guys do in a startup world and just maybe find that next rocket ship. Today, my guest is Kendrick Nguyen. is the CEO and co-founder of Republic, a platform focused on championing retail investing for the masses. In 2016, the SEC legalized equity crowd investing in the US, which now meant that investors didn't have to have the status of being accredited or sophisticated. Ken knew this was about to happen, and he talks about why he left AngelList to build Republic and what drives his mission to democratize investing for the private markets. He also provides valuable insights and anecdotes into some of the most notable investments across Republic, including Sahil Lavingia's Gumroad to turn its customers into investors, and Arlen Hamilton's Backstage Capital using the raised funds to support her venture capital firm. What we're seeing here is a fundamental shift in capitalism, and now in the distribution of capital and returns. If this trend continues, it could just be the path towards reducing income inequality and make sure that everyone has a chance to build their wealth. And finally, if you really like these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share these episodes. It really does help the community grow and the channel. So with that, I hope you enjoy my chat with Kendrick Ewan. Ken, thank you so much for joining for an episode uh, on the Prompt Podcast. Uh, really awesome to have you. Amazing uh, to be here. Thank you so much, Barry, for having me. Yeah, no, I, first of all, uh, thank you. And I think you've been making a lot of waves through the venture capital and investment communities. And I think it's so important and so interesting about what you guys are doing at Republic. And I think for the most part, uh, first of all, I would definitely want to learn a bit about who you are as a person and how you got into all of this. Uh, but maybe as a sort of a kicker, uh, why don't you sort of start off and introduce a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into all of this? It's really, truly humbling to hear you say that we have been making waves in the ecosystem because what we're building is so hard that most of the time we just you know, grinding and heads down and not realizing that, hey, there's a lot of momentum and perhaps uh, even the major, uh, the big boys, so to speak, uh, are paying uh, attention. Uh, but I started out as a, uh, a lawyer, a securities attorney, yep. uh, and I had a prior career in finance. But, you know, being an immigrant from, from Vietnam to the U.S., my family definitely didn't have a lot of money growing up. And the notion right. of like being part of something, being part of headline news that you read in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, was something that I grew up and like was wondering how come no one I knew uh, was relevant to what was being reported on. So very much in that mindset that I think that I made a career change from Wall Street back to Silicon Valley, back into yep. back, and it just coincided with a change in regulatory framework and a societal 
technical change that made what we do today possible, which is democratization of ownership, of investing, of aligning passion and profit. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I want to sort of dig into your background a little bit later, but you know, just for everyone who is new to sort of crowdfunding, because I, I think venture capital, that sort of term has been thrown around very loosely over the past uh, decade or so, but now there's a, a new type of venture capital and it's democratization, it's retail investing. So maybe just explain a little bit about what is crowdsourced funding? So, uh, Barry, may I start out by defining what we do at Republic first and yep. foremost, and then dive in on the different types of funding. Republic today is the only, as far as I know, multi-asset investment platform where anyone, any net worth, any income, whether $20 or $20 million, can come and find what they're passionate about. It may be a technology, it may be a founder, it may be an asset class, and be able to invest and earn a profit out of it. So from gaming to tech, to late stage, to YC companies, to real estate products, to virtual real estate and small business financing, and so many more that will come. The notion here is the investment platform that people can align their passion with profit. So there's an important distinction in that it used to be completely illegal for non-millionaires to invest privately. Right. That changed five years ago, and that's how we got started. We call it equity crowdfunding or retail investing. Yeah, I think what you just described there is very different to the way other, I guess, the rest of the population think of Soviet investing. You know, you need to have money, you need to be an accredited investor, you need to be able to have all of those um, you know, those approvals around your financial means to in order to invest money. And now the sort of the game is changing and the ability for, let's say, you know, my mom or my dad or someone around at the, the corner shop is able to provide a small amount of money, but it's enough to pull that together with other people and create a large amount. And that's quite revolutionary. And I think with Republic, I think you're sort of leading the way there. And, you know, how did you sort of, in terms of the story of Republic, you know, have how long have you been thinking about this? You know, what was sort of the impetus to really get started with this whole idea of Republic? Well, we launched Republic when it became legal to do so. Almost exactly to the month, it became legal in May 2016, and we launched the platform in July 2016. <laughs> uh, but Barry, I knew about this change in the law a couple years ahead of the day that it was implemented, because when I was at AngelList, AngelList was a key player in lobbying for this regulatory evolution. So we knew about it and prepared for it a little bit in advance, but it was a brand new industry and it took five years for it to gain the, the adoption, the traction that we're only beginning to see today. Yeah, I think the AngelList part was really, was really fascinating because you came from AngelList 
And, you know, you definitely were, saw a lot of things that happened there and how AngelList in, in and of itself revolutionized, revolutionized uh, venture capital with syndicates, rolling funds, and what have you. So I think, you know, what, what was your conversations with Naval at AngelList about crowdsourcing? Was he a supporter of it? Did he have any doubts? What, what was his concerns? I definitely owe my career and Republic has everything to do with Naval looking at what was being requested, which is, hey, Naval, can I leave and build this as its own standalone company? And he recognized very quickly that the business model of Republic is one that's heavily regulated is one that is operationally complex. It would be very difficult for any established startup or platform like AngelList to undertake, you know, who changed the company. And because of that, that he saw the possibility of this being its own thing with its own culture and team and challenges and potential to pursue and let us be, you know, let us drive our own path. Um, but Angelus is a major investor in Republic and a major stakeholder. Yeah, that's quite unique. I mean, the fact that your former boss encouraged you to go out and do something different and new, that's that's quite a, a refreshing thing to hear. Uh, I'm sure, you know, if it was probably other people, they would probably say, oh, that's a terrible idea or maybe we should do it ourselves. But I feel like, you know, the AngelList community, but also just what you guys, you know, the work that you've been doing at AngelList means that you're able to take what you learned, you're able to take all that experience that you've gained and build something unique and different, but also um, complement AngelList in a way as well. You're not direct competitors with them, but you're making trying to make sure that the ecosystem for venture capital is much more broader and much more supportive of founders and i feel like that's probably the end game is because you know you're not working for the investors you're working for the founders and you really want to make sure they succeed in every way every way possible um what about the idea of like crowdsource funding i know that there was a lot of regulation which we can dig into into deeper later on but why is this such a game changer like being able to ask you know, friends and family members and just people who don't have that status. Like, why is this important? I want to start out by redefining the term that you've been using, Barry, which is crowdsourcing. There are many types of crowdfunding. There's donation crowdfunding, like the GoFundMe of the world. There's the reward-based, like the Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Our is investing. Is crowd investing, is retail investing. And the reason why it's so game-changing is that it unlocks a tremendous source of capital for so many founders and small businesses that don't have, didn't then and still do not have access to venture capital. Institutional funding sources are very specific and limiting in whom and what they're investing in. So if you're building a business that has the potential to be a $20 million business that hires 100 you know, workers, employees from the yep. community, 
that business doesn't have a shot at getting venture financing because it's not big enough, but there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of those businesses that comprise the vast you know, economy, global economy. So up until now, the funding capability or the funding uh, capital has been so, so limited and completely unmet when it comes to the needs of most entrepreneurs. Unlocking retail capital is probably going to be one of the biggest in high signs a decade now looking back in terms of driving new capital into the global economy. And I believe that it's going to contribute to creating a multi-trillion dollar industry within the next five to 10 years. I think, uh, first of all, yeah, thank you for reiterating that it is crowd equity investing. And it's not, you know, there are different flavors of that, but this is crowd investing and really bringing together, you know, thousands of people together to, to invest in a mission, a cause, or whatever it may be. Do you think that there's still room for traditional venture capital versus crowdfunding capital? What's your thoughts there? Absolutely, uh, Barry. When it comes to money, the second question is always, what value add, what value comes with that capital? In the case of venture capital, Sequoia, Kleiner Perkins, Google Ventures, that money comes with a tremendous network uh, of experts and, you know, influence and it can open doors, you know, score new institutional business relationship in a way that's differentiated retail capital is community, your customers becoming your investors and brand ambassadors. They're going to talk about wherever they go. They're going to buy that beer or that, you know, tea for every single major holiday. So one is community and marketing value. And the other one is the curated expertise that can really guide a company and open doors when it comes to major business relationship. The two are very much synergistic and not at all competitive by our estimation. Yeah, look, I was, as, you, I was, as you sort of was giving that answer, I was thinking about all the companies that I've come across that are venture-backed and you know, once in a while, you'll see on LinkedIn, maybe one of the investors themselves, they'll tweet about it or they'll post about it. But if you have a community behind a brand, um, thousands and thousands of people, they will do the work for you. They will be able to evangelize the product, the, the brand itself, share it with their friends. And so I guess you have these amazing network effects, I suppose, at the end of the day, that really provide the ability for you know, these sort of crowd equity funded uh, companies to really um, use their community, use their base, and also, you know, use them as support levers to really spread the word. And I think that's an interesting uh, perspective because it is different from venture capital. I think we still need that venture capital, you know, for, you know, significantly large checks or if you have that value add that is quite unique that not a traditional retail investor can give you. Um, I think that's quite uh, quite different in, in, in and of itself. Um, what about the companies that Republic have? Uh, you know, I know that venture capital 
you know, they say, oh, I invest in tech, right? But tech can, is so, it comes in so many different shapes and sizes now. Do you just in, invest in, I guess, sorry, does Republic only host traditional textile companies where they're building things that rely on sort of these technology enablers? Or it could be anything as like a, you know, a shoe product or, you know, anything that you can manufacture. What's the, what's the mandate for Republic here? The mandate for Republic is to be the go-to platform that if people are passionate about anything that they can earn a profit and because of that diversity and range of product, truly necessary. Barry, you may love space, technology, or blockchain, and I may love gaming. Beyond that, I may love restaurant because I'm an aspiring chef. Why shouldn't I be able to invest in a restaurant and get revenue share while you invest in the space acts of the world and hope for a return of a different type? So given that the world population has myriad interests and passions, so too the investment products that we believe should be presented. And we're in the early phase, but today we're the only multi-asset investment platform for the masses anywhere in the world, as far as I know. Do the Republic only, I mean, because of the regulation, you know, how, how difficult was it to navigate that? I know that in in the US, you know, a lot all of those things have been sort of, you know, lifted, but with Republic, is it only US specific or do you support companies in other countries as well? Yes, right now we are a US-based and primarily US-operated company, but our mission, our goal, our vision is to be that global household brand. So I would be not surprised uh, to see Republic expanding cross-Pacific and cross-Atlantic in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm sort of trying to think about is sort of all the regulatory barriers, because I think different countries have their own things and their own policies around who can invest and who cannot invest. I know as an Australian myself, I know that with Australia, you have to be a sophisticated investor, which is comparable to being accredited. And you have to earn this amount of money or have this minimum net value. Uh, And so, but I think that is changing as well. And I think it's obviously Republic is leading the way in the US and there's a few other companies that I know of in Australia sort of doing similar things. Um, But when it comes to sort of bringing those deals onto Republic's platform, how do you vet the good deals versus the bad deals? So our heritage um, is venture, is investing. uh, And I think at Republic, Now we have a team of over 200 uh, family members around in 10 different cities, three different continents. And a lot of us came from the venture space, uh, ourselves invested actively, uh, personally. But in addition, in addition to the traditional lens of credibility, and this is just the tech vertical I'm talking about, we also have to open up an avenue for the wisdom of the crowd. So Barry, if you and your friend launched a a hand sanitizer product 
And I don't think it is very good. I don't think it's worth $50 million so early on. But you managed to have 200,000 diehard customers who are willing to back you. I got to be able to be that platform that enable your community to do that and not apply my own myopic lens about a space that I may not know a whole lot about and block it. So it's a delicate dance between curating deals that we believe are the best team, the most credible, committed uh, founding team that can deliver on what they set out to do. And as such should be, you know, worth an investment of venture backing. And in the case of Republic retail backing, that's one lens. The other lens is how do we also provide opportunities and funding capability for entrepreneurs and business models that have traditionally been overlooked Here's one example, Barry. In the United States, Black female founders statistically in certain years get zero dollar in terms of venture financing. Now, they're responsible for $50 billion worth of revenue generated by businesses in, in America, but somehow completely overlooked. If we just apply the traditional lens, how can we be any different? We got to open it up to the wisdom of the crowd with the intention of building a more robust and more successful ecosystem for everyone involved. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You, you know, I think, you know, thinking about this for quite some time myself, there are only certain avenues that people can take when they are trying to raise funds or raise money for their company in the traditional sense, you know, back in the day. And a lot of those marginal societies, those certain demographics were sort of ostracized or they didn't have the right connections. And so I think what is happening now is there's definitely been a shift in the way that people do business and the way that the platforms like Republic can offer those that types of access, right? And for me, I think that's a really good thing to see and hear about because, yeah, I mean, definitely there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of differences of opinions. But you know, the fact of the matter is that Republic is, a, a, is an agnostic platform and it's used to provide, it's an enabler to provide equity and funding for these founders, no matter who you are, where you come from, um, as long as you have a great product, then people will back you, and I think that's one of the interesting things about what you're what you're doing there. Um, what about like the due diligence part? I know that obviously you're curating the deals quite often on your side, and when you do the due diligence, how do you make sure that a company comes to you and they're telling the truth? You know, they could you know inflate the numbers, they could give you these you know, hyper growth numbers and, and a pitch deck, you know, what makes, uh, how do you guys sort of dig through that and make sure that they're telling the truth? You know, vetting uh, veracity is always a tricky thing, but I can tell you this, very few people would want to defraud by going through a due diligence process, file a form with the SEC submit financial that's reviewed by outside audit firm 
just to raise money. They would have countless ways of doing that. So all of these steps, and the law already requires some of these parameters. We added more, but the law requires financials to be reviewed by an independent CPA, has to be gap compliant. Uh, We have to run bad actor check to make sure that the management team or certainly the founders haven't been committed, having been convicted or even accused of fraud. So all of these bells and whistles to assure the legitimacy or the credibility of a company, that results in, Barry, out of about 10,000 applications a year, we launch a couple hundred deals. That's how steep our curative lens for some of the verticals may be. Now, other verticals, we have SpaceX, uh, we've raised for Carter, for relativity space, for very mature companies that don't need the kind of deep dive on the soft factors and the validation of them have already raised from Tiger Global and Kleiner Perkins typically themselves are also validation or signals of credibility for Republic and for our community. Yeah, I think that is an interesting uh, model. And it sounds like now with the whole, there's a hybrid approach, I suppose, you know, that these companies are getting venture capital, but also they're also getting crowd equity capital as well. And I want to sort of bring the story of like Gumroad uh, to the to the front here because I think this is an interesting uh, case study because uh, you know the founder Sahil he raised initially angel investment from Naval and other you know venture capitalists uh, in the traditional sense but then he was like thinking well maybe I should just do this in a in a crowd equity way and and see how that goes how did that conversation go with Sahil did he approach you did you approach him or well, how did that go. This trend of founders recognizing communities and the value of a more engaged community is a trend independent of Republic, uh, Barry. And I think the case of Sahil and Gumbro, Gumbro is a massive community, right. uh, one of you know, a success stories of community building. And so, of course, Sahil saw the value of incentivizing community members through ownership. So he had this idea, this concept, and he's a, uh, a close partner of, Repub- uh, of Angelus. Himself can take a lot of credit for doing the rolling fund or, or bringing visibility to the rolling fund. Uh, so he certainly had that in mind. Uh, and I can't remember whether he reached out first or that Naval made the introduction, but he certainly knew about Republic and through the process uh, had the conviction uh, and saw in us a long-term partner uh, and Gumroad, one of the first validators that retail investing, uh, community ownership, crowd investing is here to last and it's just as credible as venture capital that a company can raise from Sequoia and can turn around and run a campaign on Republic because that is needed for its community, irrespective of the capital needs from VC. What was the uh, what was the stats like? I think you know he tried to raise in an, a few hours or so, or maybe a few days, and he reached like ten thousand uh, investors. What was what were the numbers like? 
It's been a few months, but I believe the Gumroad campaign raised the maximum five millions in certainly less than a day. I think it was like seven or eight hours uh, out of. Uh, I don't remember the number exact, uh, you know, the exact number of investors, but uh, I think approximately or more than 10,000 investors participated. That's insane. And it just goes to show, I don't know, just like the power of, of, of the people and they're able to sort of just put small checks in here and there and just sort of adds up every hour in that. And I think just to that point, you know, the other case study is um, Backstage Capital, Arlen Hamilton's fund. And that was sort of, you know, it wasn't a startup per se, but it was a fund. It was a venture fund. And she wanted to raise, I think it was like $5 million um, as well. And and I think she was able to raise the full amount um, with, you know, a significant number of investors uh, outside of just your typical raising to uh, limited partners. You know, what is this, I guess, you know, after seeing all of these case studies and figuring out, you know, looking at what the the landscape is changing for venture capital and and all of this, you know, startups and what have you, you know, where do you sort of see this going? Um, if companies now can raise money from just pretty much anyone, uh, given the you know regulations and what have you, but uh, let's say in the next you know five to ten years, you know, what do you see happening with this entire um, you know ecosystem of uh, investing? Uh, yes, uh, Backstage is a great example of a very traditionally for the rich only, which is yeah. running a venture capital firm, right? I mean, it doesn't get any more uh, uh, marquee, it doesn't get any more uh, white gloves than a private equity or venture capital firm. And Backstage managed to build a community focused investment asset manager or, or VC. And she fundraised for her own operating cost uh, for, for her investment firm from the community. And I think it's a signal that across all different industries, you are going to see the, the value of retail capital permeating and improving uh, access and and uh, and fairness across the board, from space tech all the way to consumer and the restaurants and real estate of the world. I don't think there's there are too, not too many business models come to mind that I can definitively say that this business model would not see the value of retail capital anytime soon. Very very few. Yeah, I. I do agree, and I think retail capital is one of those things that are going to help a lot of people learn about investing. They're going to educate them, and I think for me as well, you know, growing up and listening to my friends and you know investing here and there, you know, you don't really learn investing in school. You don't really learn sort of how all of this works. You learn your theoretical and your your academic business studies and and what have you but no one really knows how to invest until you actually do it and if you're now lowering the bar so that other people can throw in i don't know fifty dollars a hundred dollars maybe more than that and learn this is where the money is going to go this is what's going to happen 
you know, does that does that excite you? Does that make you sort of get up in the morning and and want to do what you want to do? Huh. Uh, you touch on something that is very close to my heart. I really think that financial equity is a solution to a lot of you know social inequities that we see around yeah. the world. And you can't be what you you can't be what you can't see. So if you grew up and not have siblings or parents or relatives who are in the financial world, even in the United States, you would not know anything about investing until, you know, you're already a mature professional. And I think the feasibility of enabling investments at $5, $20, $10, enable us, Republic and the industry to introduce financial sophistication or even familiarity, even at the high school level, instead of giving high school kids, or in addition to giving them computers or laptops or calculators, companies like Republic down the road can donate a certain amount of money so that students can learn how to deploy $10 and write a piece of paper, a report on why they decided to pick and invest in a certain company. Out of that experience, 10% may then go on and take an interest in finance in a way that quite frankly, when I graduated from law school, which in the US is a graduate degree, after seven or eight years of higher education, I knew almost nothing about investing, right. public investing, much less private investing. And I would dare say that it's already changing. I think an average college, a high school student nowadays is more informed than the average post-grad professional 15, 20 years ago. Well, yeah, 100% agree. And, you know, I see it every day. And I think people are getting much smarter and they're being educated and they're learning more and more about both the public and the private markets. I think Robin Hood has definitely made much more awareness for the public markets. And now Republic and all, all the other people and players in the industry are making it much more aware for in the private markets. And I think there's a nice balance there. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, um, history and I think a lot of people will resonate with what you just said because they want to obviously build their own wealth and they want to learn about investing themselves and sort of pass that on to their kids and so on and so forth and I think this sort of takes me back to you know what you mentioned right at the beginning of the conversation about your heritage coming from Vietnam you know I think a lot of uh, immigrants they're the sort of first generation, second generation, they will understand this because it is a struggle, you know, and maybe just to sort of um, learn a bit more about who you are, you know, tell me about your story a little bit from Vietnam and how you got into this entire industry and world. You know, it's a very unique case and I think you've been very fortunate, but at the same time, you know, did you create your luck? How did you, how do you sort of 
tell other people in your position how do they do what you're doing? Well, uh, that question, Barry, uh, I would just state it right at the outset that I think every so-called success, more than half of that is luck in timing and meeting the right people in thinking the right idea at the right moment in time, of course, hustle and grind and an open mind and integrity have a lot to do with it. But luck is always a huge part. And everything about life is luck, right? We uh, were born with two eyes. Uh, not everyone is so lucky. Uh, we didn't, we weren't born with a speech or a somehow thinking impediment. Again, that's not the case for everyone around the world. But I think in my case, uh, immigrated to the United States when I was a, a child and growing up in this, the, the, the center of Silicon Valley, but recognizing that proximity does not mean access just because I grew up and my family was within you know, a mile or two of the Apple campus. It didn't mean that we had a chance to be a part or to invest or to partake in, in any of the new stories, technology and innovation developed. Uh, so I think the desire to, to drive forward and find a way to build um, equality and inclusion uh, certainly has a lot to do with the, the, immigration, uh, the immigrant heritage. The second piece of it, uh, Barry, is that most people don't realize the early immigrant communities like the Irish, the Japanese, Koreans, Chinese, and then Vietnamese to the United States, those smaller businesses in little in Chinatown, in Little Saigon, in Little Japantown were all byproducts of crowdfunding because mm. the banks did not lend to immigrants 100 years ago, 150 years ago. And so they turned to one another in the community to find that capital to launch the business. Now, we are only bringing that back at scale with technology so that that notion of community funding can adopt a 21st century um, scalability. But many things, I think we are very much a function of our past. Uh, and I think it's important to know that we also have room to build and create our future. But if do I have any advice for, for founders uh, or for people in general, I would say that I think embrace uh, your own heritage is very important and find what you can use out of it and uh, the value, the advantage uh, of everyone, of anyone's heritage, but also know what you're passionate about and know that your future is your own destiny. And that means half hustle and grind and the other half is just good intention and hope that it's good timing and good luck. Well said. I think that is sound advice because finding your own company or doing something extraordinary is never easy. And you have to grind and you have to hustle, 
but at the same time, as you mentioned, the luck plays a huge role. And and I think you make your own luck at the end of the day. The more work you do, the more people you connect with, that will just come your way and you'll just be a magnet for for luck. And you know, and I think that's a that's a really good tip and advice to a lot of young people out there who are trying to, to start their own thing or even just to succeed in, in life in general. Um, and I feel yeah, like, it, yeah. May I add uh, an additional perspective about the definition of luck, uh, Barry? Go ahead. Uh, I think that luck is also a function of just commitment and passion. Right. And the lack of distraction, because if you combine an unbending passion, commitment to do something. And at the same time, you're also not dealing with like cancer or a divorce or something like that. Then you're able to have that clarity of mind to see all the opportunities that may be relevant to what it is that you're passionate about that typically you don't see. Like we walk down the street every day and we take in billions of signals that we don't actually perceive or see because we're thinking about something else. So the combination of that unbridled focus and passion and a clarity of mind, I think also, like you said, create your own luck in in many cases. 100% agree. the, first of all, thank you so much. That was an amazing conversation, and I definitely learned a lot. And I'm I'm hoping that other people will listen to this, they'll watch this, and they'll understand exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, but also you know see the big picture and and what this means for all of us in terms of helping companies grow, founders, and and the sort of the next generation of of companies grow. How, how do people reach out to you? You know, are you active on Twitter? How do they contact you if they need to, to, to reach out to you? Yes, uh, I'm semi-active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Kendrick, E-S-Q, stand for Esquire, a shout out to my legal heritage. So it's Kendrick, <laughs> E-S-Q. Um, and uh, I get back to people who DM me on Twitter or you can find me on LinkedIn, Kendrick Wynn. Uh, and I can't promise that I'm going to get back right away. But uh, depending on the week, I usually uh, get back to almost everyone who reaches out, you know, within a week or so. Uh, but I'm just grateful uh, for the opportunity to share our story, you know, on your show. And uh, we are so early, uh, I think, in this retail revolution and any uh, new, each new person who knows that she can invest a little bit of amount of money in the companies, the founders that she think will be building the future or that the future should be that. One more person knowing about the feasibility of it means 20 more people, 20 million people. And hopefully one day, everyone around the world within this decade will know that they should be investing in building the future that we all share. Amazing. Great. That was a, a great send-off. And thank you so much, Ken. Really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll bring you back for maybe a round two when Republic are global. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, again, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. It's All been right. a pleasure.